You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Romans chapter 8. We're going to specifically look at verse 1 today. But over the next four weeks, we're going to be in verses 1 through 17. So I want to read the whole context for you. Um, Here's what Paul says. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 17. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, if children then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order we may also be glorified with Him. <coughs> Pray with me. Father, <clears throat> Father, I stand before You today um, asking that You would come speak through my preaching, that your spirit would be released to move freely in our midst, that you would draw our hearts and our attention, see you, all that you have done for us on the cross of Christ. You would come and in many regards just unleash the power of the empty tomb in our midst. 
Father, we love you, and we trust you to do this. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So I'm planning to focus uh, entirely on Romans chapter 8, verse 1 today, and I, I plan to really just outline a few things in that verse. I'll read it for you. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My plan this morning is to highlight the word therefore, to highlight the phrase now no condemnation, and to highlight the final phrase, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's kind of a um, vision of where we're headed. Uh, Romans chapter 8 is a passage of Scripture uh, that I turn to often. in one of my favorite places of Scripture. Um, indeed, I think it's probably that way for many Christians. Uh, it's a passage of Scripture that describes the Holy Spirit's work uh, in setting us free from the bondage of slavery to sin. Um, that, that's really a short summary of what Romans 8 is all about. Now, it might be uh, easy for us to uh, miss um, some of the importance of what I'm saying here. Um, I want to draw your attention to something on the front edge that might um, help us. What I want you to notice, and what I want you to know, um, is that up until this point in the book of Romans, first seven chapters, up until this point, Paul has only mentioned the Holy Spirit twice, two times. Chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 5, verse 5. And now in chapter 8, he mentions the Holy Spirit 20 times. 20 times. That's significant. How should we think about that? What does that knowledge do for us? Is that a useless piece of knowledge? Is it just something that's really cool for us to know? How could that affect our hearts? Just the way I thought about this as I prepared, thought about the last 20 times I committed sin. The last 20 times that I gave in to temptation. The last 20 times that I craved acceptance from someone. The last 20 times that I tried to control someone or control some circumstance. Or the last 20 times that I chased power or achievement or success. I thought about that. But about the last 20 times that I tapped out of doing the right thing because I um, was seeking comfort. Didn't want to get out of my comfort zone. I didn't do what was right. Maybe you might think of the last 20 times that you committed a sin. See, every one of those times that you gave in to sin and therefore acted like a slave to sin again, where was the Holy Spirit those 20 times? He was right there working to set you free. He was there proclaiming that there is a way out of the jail cell. The Holy Spirit was present there preaching to your heart that the cell doors are unlocked through the work of Christ at the cross. He was teaching you, attempting to teach you, attempting to speak to you and draw you to Jesus and teach you that in Christ you have been set free to love God through your obedience to Him. This is what the Holy Spirit was doing. In all of your struggle with sin, the Holy Spirit has been right there calling out to you like a forgotten lover. Brings me to the word therefore in our passage. 
what is the therefore, therefore question. The word therefore should always cause us to ask that question, should always cause us to ask, what's it there for? In other words, what we need to be asking is, what has Paul already said that shines light on what he is saying now? What came before this? What has he just said that makes what he is saying now so good? Now the connection to the word therefore in Romans 8.1 is what Paul has previously said in Romans chapter 7, specifically verses 14 through 25. In those verses, what Paul does is he describes his struggle with sin. He says that he knows. He knows that the law is good because it teaches him the difference between right and wrong. This is going to be my summary of what Paul says. He says, I, I, I'm, I know that the law is good because it, it, it teaches me the difference between right and wrong. He says, but, but even though he knows the difference between right and wrong, and he, he hates doing what is wrong, what does he do? He still struggles with doing the very wrong things that he hates to do. Now, there are some commentators that want to make Paul out in this passage in chapter 7 to be just writing about a very weak, carnal Christian, not, not a mature Christian. Paul, Paul could never be admitting that a mature Christian such as him Self could be struggling with this kind of thing. Those are some of the commentators. Um, I would reject that in a heartbeat. I means I. <laughs> in Greek. <laughs> I means I. Okay. So Paul, I believe, is talking about himself. Furthermore, I think if you set up this paradigm of, oh, we have really mature Christians who don't, really struggle with sin, and then we have immature Christians who really do struggle with sin, and so you immature folks, you babies, you need the grown-ups to come help you. Like That kind of mentality and theology is destructive in the church. It sets up things called Phariseeism and legalism. And, it, and, and, and honestly, if you look at the church, you see this. Uh, all over America especially, we don't talk about our sin actually in personal terms. We talk about them in general terms. Like, well, yeah, I, you know, I sinned a lot last week. I, but let's talk about something else that's like outside. And we don't want to deal with that because it makes me feel really uncomfortable. Yeah, I believe the word when it says that it's like a double-edged sword and it comes and separates. But that doesn't really apply to me anymore because I'm kind of mature. Now, we would never say those things explicitly, but implicitly by the way that we live our lives, we say that. So I, I, I don't believe that Paul is is setting up some weird straw man argument. I think he's talking about himself. Is that even though he knows the difference between right and wrong, he still struggles with doing very wrong things that he hates to do. Anybody else in this room that can identify with that? Yeah, right? Like, you hate it when you entertain a lustful thought? Hate it. You hate it when you get angry with your kids. You hate it when you get impatient with your spouse, maybe. But for some reason, you keep doing the things you hate to do. Stop with that. No matter how much you try to hide it, no matter how much you try to dress it up, you still struggle, and you hate it. You keep doing the things that you hate. Paul knows what this is like. 
He knows that sin is very much alive inside of him. He knows that his flesh is corrupted by his sinful desires. In those verses, 7, chapter 7, verse 14 through 25, he admits that although he wants to do what's right, he, he doesn't have the ability or the power inside of himself to do it. Instead, what he sees inside of himself is that in his own human strength, he's absolutely hopeless to ever do what's perfectly right. Evil is always nearby. Sin is right around the corner, crouching there, ready to pounce on him. In his flesh, he is a captive or a slave or a prisoner to the slave master of sin. That's the description Paul gives. Can you feel the struggle in that? Can you, can you identify with this, this almost hopeless sense that sin is always crouching around the corner just waiting to take you out? The sin, the topic of sin makes us really uncomfortable. It's easier to talk about other people's sins. It's easy to talk about evil atrocities in the world. It's painful, yes, but it's much easier to talk about those things than it is to talk about the very real sin that lurks around deep down inside of you. Paul doesn't seem to be afraid of that. One author uh, said that the road to changing and overcoming sin in our lives is a lot less like a journey on a gravel road or a journey on a highway, and it's much more like walking across a tightrope above Niagara Falls. Scary. You get this feeling that if you fall off that tightrope, you could die. Our struggle with sin almost feels like a perpetual, endless walk on that tightrope over Niagara Falls. What do you do when you realize that you still struggle with sin? I think, I think when, when I face that realization, again, I, I think I oftentimes want to ignore it. Again, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that I'm okay because I, I read my Bible today, prayed with my wife and my kids, helped a friend with something, went to a Bible study, shared my faith with somebody, paste, click something on social media that proves that I'm a Christian so that Jesus won't disown me. Some of the stupidest posts I've ever seen. Well, the reality is that I'm no different than Paul in this passage. I know the difference between right and wrong, and the right that I want to do isn't always what I wind up doing. But the wrong things that I hate doing are what I often wind up doing. Kind of like a sick dog that continues to return to his own vomit. Anybody else like to eat your own vomit? I hate being overworked. I know it's wrong. There's no excuse in the world for it. I hate struggling with lust. I know that's wrong. No excuse for that. Can't dress any of that up in good lipstick and make it seem like it's better than it is. I hate the anger that wells up inside of me. I hate the fear that often controls me. I hate the doubt that creeps up inside of my mind. I hate it when I sin. 
I want to do what's right, but the right things that I want to do aren't always what I wind up doing. It's the wrong things that I hate doing that I often wind up doing. Anybody else ever struggle with any of this? This realization for Paul causes him in Romans 7 to cry out. He cries out, I am a wretched man. Who will deliver me from this body of death? A phrase. Who will let me free from this? Who, who will set me free from slavery? Who will, who will loosen the shackles of the bondage that I'm in? Who, who will break the chains of my sin, he says. Thank, thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord, I am now set free to serve God with a transformed mind, even though my flesh still serves the slave master of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see the beauty of this passage? This whole section of Scripture is all about taking a cold, hard look at our very real struggle with sin and then being encouraged in the truth that we are no longer condemned to a life of slavery. Not left there. We're no longer in bondage if you're in Christ. The chains have been broken. The cell doors are open. Our struggle with sin, while it is not over on this side of heaven, it will be over on the other side of heaven. There is there is nothing that will make you hunger. Nothing that could make you thirst for heaven more than the stark realities of your own struggle with sin. If you think all of the trouble out there makes you hunger for heaven, I would pray that God would just bring you face to face with your own sin right now. So that will make you hunger for more and more of heaven. Much more. Much more than anything outside of it. To ignore your own sin, to minimize your own sin, to excuse your own sin, is to minimize and ignore the hope of heaven. Your hope is only things of this earth. This is what the therefore is there for. The therefore is there for the purpose of shining light on the truth that I am a sinner who is in need of salvation. I was a prisoner who has been set free. I was condemned, but now I am included. I was in chains, but now I have no chains. I wore a robe that was spotted and filthy with sin, but now I wear a white robe of perfection. I was a slave, but now I am a son. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now here's another question. How would you describe your spiritual health right now? How would you describe your spiritual health right now? Right now, you may describe your spiritual health as pretty good. Maybe, um, maybe you know, you're sitting in a church gathering. You might feel all right. <clears throat> but let me ask you, what about a few hours ago when you were trying to get your kids in the car? Or a few hours ago when 
You got upset with your spouse because of something. A few hours ago when you got frustrated with a printer out there in the front hallway and you wanted to throw it out a window. Yeah. Hey. <clears throat> what about last night? You were looking at your computer screen when you were hanging out with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Or you were drawn towards that bottle again. What about earlier this week? How were you doing? And how's your relationship with the Lord? Sometimes I'm guilty of living in the past too much. Sometimes I live in the future too much. I'm like a pendulum swing back and forth. Can't figure out where I want to be. When I live in the past, I tend to uh, dream of the good old days. Anybody else ever dream of the good old days? Back when gas was less than a dollar a gallon? The good old days? Okay. Um... Guys came armed with jokes this morning. <laughs> Sometimes I tend to dream of the good old days, or I get maybe depressed from the past, too, when I think of um, some harmful event or some sinful behavior um, from my past that still affects me now. Sometimes I live in the future, though. I live in the future. I, I tend to dream about a better life. Unhappy with the life I have now, maybe. Which maybe is more like I'm unhappy with myself, so I'm unhappy with the life that I have now. So I, I look forward to something better. I dream about that. Or, or, or uh, the other pendulum swing as you're looking forward to the future is uh, maybe begin to worry about what's around the next corner. And both of the past or the future can both be very destructive to my spiritual health. Uh, they can be good, can be good looking back and looking forward, um, but can also be very destructive. This is the beauty of the word in our passage, the, the word now. Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I need to notice for a moment the immediacy of that word now. Now, the word now simply means right now, right? Means this instant, means this moment, means right here, right now. I don't know about you, but I can still hear my mom's voice, her tone of voice. She would call out to me. She'd say something like, Joseph Michael Marino, get your butt over here right now. Right? You can hear your parents. Maybe it's your spouse. When I, when I heard her tone of voice, I knew that now meant right now. It meant this instant. It meant this moment right here. If I didn't, it was going to be bad for me. Question, what tone of voice do you hear your Heavenly Father saying? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What tone of voice do you hear when your Father speaks that over you? Right now. I have a tendency to live in the past, like I said, in a destructive way. Where I miss the right here and the right now of this promise. Whatever happened in my past, whatever I did in my past is covered by the right here and the right now of this promise of immediate 
freedom. Now, the Spirit of God was just as powerfully present then as He promises to be right now. So those, those chains of the past, that shameful thing, that gross sin that I was guilty of, it's been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. I am no longer a slave to that thing because of the promise of the Word now. Now, no condemnation. question is, where are you at right now? How would you describe your spiritual health right now? Maybe you don't live in the past as much as I do. Maybe, maybe for you it's more of your current circumstances that you find yourself trapped in or enslaved to or condemned by. Maybe it's, maybe it's the struggle for power. Maybe it's the struggle for comfort. Maybe it's the struggle for acceptance. Maybe it's the struggle for control for you. We work through those. You find yourself living in fear right now because you, you can't seem to earn enough acceptance in your relationships. You, you walk around all day long fearing who's going to reject you next. Maybe you find yourself bored with life. Every time a challenge arises, you, you tap out because you're afraid of failure. You just continue putting one foot in front of the other, doing the same old things and hoping for different results while deep down inside you're actually bored the sanitary little cocoon of comfort that you created for yourself. Maybe it's comfort for you, not acceptance. Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've worn yourself out trying to control everything. Maybe it's control for you. One point in your life, everything in your life got way out of control. You either hurt people or you got hurt by people. In that season, so you've convinced yourself since then that it's better to be in control of every little detail so that you never get hurt again. But in the midst of all of your striving to be in control, you keep finding out that you're actually way out of control. You can control nothing. So you run around in circles in fear of what bomb is going to drop next. Maybe, um, maybe it's not control or acceptance or comfort for you. Um, maybe it's accomplishing something. Maybe you feel weak. You feel powerless. Um, you feel like you're incapable of accomplishing anything good. You look at your life. You, know, you think that you're never going to amount to much. Your friends are getting ahead in life somehow. Successful in business, they're getting married, they're, they're having children, their, their careers seem to be skyrocketing. You, you obsess every day about what you need to do to get ahead in life. You want to be successful. You want to achieve something of value that will outlive you as your legacy somehow. So you wind up working your fingers to the bone day in and day out. Got little to nothing to show for except blood, sweat, and tears. Your tombstone, you look ahead to that, it has a gap between the dates that you were born and the date you're going to die. And for the life of you, you cannot seem to fill that gap with anything of any significance. These are the inner workings of your soul. Hard to put words to. Don't want to talk about it. Don't like to talk about it. That's called sin. Running rampant inside of us. And it controls us. We become enslaved to it. I just want to remind you about the word now in our passage. There is therefore now 
No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation simply means to be completely free from bondage. means to be a slave to your sinful desires no longer. No condemnation simply means to be justified, to be made right with God, to be set free to love Him who loved you first. This truth is not just a promise of a future inheritance, although it is all of that, it's more. It's the promise of something that you actually have right now. Right now, you are free. Right now, you are justified. Right now, you are perfect in front of your Father in heaven. He says this, as high as the heavens are above the earth and as, and as far as the east is from the west, that, that's how far He's cast all that sin away from you. So, so why would any of us fear facing that sin head on? Why would we want to trade in that life of living out the gospel for anything else? Why? Why would we trade? Now there is no condemnation. See, if, if this kind of immediacy is actually true, think about it. This is true. If you're, if you're going to believe this, what difference does it make? Who cares? Well, what difference would it make in the church today, in a Christian's life, to believe this? Why does it matter? Right? Well, if this kind of immediacy right now kind of immediacy promise, if this is actually available to us now, if this is true, if I'm really going to believe this, as I survey my past, as I survey my current struggle with sin, I just think about what kind of desire this would awaken inside of us for Jesus. you think about the things that dominate your thoughts and dominate your conversations. What did you talk about for the last 48 hours with people? And in what ways did Jesus make it in there? Was he just like an, an add-on to all the things that worry you and bother you and concern you? That's, that's what I noticed inside of me. Maybe I am different than you guys, but I, I tend to think that we're all in the same boat. What kind of desire is being wakened inside of you for Jesus right now as you think about this right now promise of you're free? No condemnation. Question number three, what kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? Seems like a, maybe a funny question to ask, but it is important. What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus? Is it intimate or distant? Is it overflowing or empty? Is it coexisting or non-existing? And we ask these questions about our human relationships all the time. Well, it seems appropriate to ask them of our relationship with Jesus, probably more so. There's an eternal value to that question. We wonder oftentimes if our human relationships are okay. We, we think about whether or not our human relationships are in good shape or bad shape. And we wonder if our kids are tired of us. We wonder if our spouse is bored or angry with us. We wonder if our friends still like us or not. Um, we obsess sometimes. Sometimes we probably obsess a lot over whether or not we need to do something to make a relationship right or to start a relationship. We wonder if we've done something to offend someone. We, we, we worry if our human relationships don't seem to be going in the right direction. Well, what kind of relationship do you have with Jesus right now? How would you characterize it? 
Because Paul says in this passage that there is, therefore, now, no condemnation, final phrase, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice that that last phrase, those who are in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a phrase that describes close relationship. But to be in Christ is to be hidden in His presence or resting in His presence or satisfied in His presence. Hidden, resting, satisfied. Hidden, resting, satisfied. It's the picture of a child hiding from the wrath of an enemy in the arms of their mom or their dad. It's the picture of a baby sleeping in absolute peace and comfort in the arms of his mother or father. It's the picture of a starving child in a dark alley sitting safely at a banquet table with the master chef feeding him. That's the picture that we get when you study out the nuances of what it means to be in Christ. Just ask you, where's your soul today? Resting? Safe? Here? Satisfied? Or not? And if no, then why not? And once you land at the why not, now ask, why Jesus? How does He come and fulfill those desires? Is your relationship with Him intimate or distant? Overflowing or empty? Coexisting or non-existing? There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The invitation of this passage is to come and to hide yourself in Christ. It's, it's to come and to rest in Christ. It's to come and to be satisfied in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is good news for a weary soul. One of the things... Um, Jesus said when He walked this earth was that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives. Recover your sight to the blind. Set free those who are being oppressed. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In conclusion, I just want to say, the good news of this passage is that Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to set you free. You. Your name, your face, your life, your experience. When we say that He came to set the captives free, we oftentimes see pictures of others. He came to set you free. Now, if you're here and you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, the truth is that you are not yet free. You are condemned to a life of slavery to your sin. Your sin separates you from God, and your future will look no different unless you surrender to Him today. And the Spirit of the Lord is here today, hopefully speaking to you in these moments, calling out to you, proclaiming the good news of the gospel to you. I want you to know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus still going to struggle with sin like that, that struggle is not going to be over until you get to heaven anyone who tries to teach you difference 
flat-out heretic and hasn't read his Bible, he's still going to struggle with sin. But you don't have to stay in prison. You don't have to run back to the plantation. You don't have to be a slave to sin any longer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The question is, will you stay in prison? Will you run back to the slave owner? Or will you accept Jesus' invitation to come and to trust him and be free? Only the Holy Spirit can do that work inside of you. I pray that he will. For those of you who have accepted this invitation, whether it was 15 minutes ago or 15 years ago, the promise of this passage for you is, is even more overwhelming because now you realize that now more than ever in your human flesh you are hopeless to overcome your sin you face your sin each and every day you know what it's like to return to your vomit even though you're a Christian thanks be to Jesus that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free. You are no longer enslaved. Your sin last night doesn't define you. You are not the sum of your sins. Your Savior is better at saving than you are at sinning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, I ask that you would take this passage and this message and apply it to our hearts. Help us to walk in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.